Hello and welcome to the first ever edition of the Biking Up podcast with me, James Maloney. Essentially what the podcast is going to be doing is bringing local news from the northwest of England. Uh, we'll have all the clubs, results, races, everything uh, we're going to try and bring to you every single week so you keep updated as much as possible. We'll also have uh, news from around the UK and around the world as well. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a big thank you to Andy Gow from Trek for all his help in supporting not only the website but uh, giving us some ideas about the podcast as well so thanks very much Andy. Uh, right and today's show uh, first up we'll have local and UK news and also international news then we'll have the first of our features which we'll be bringing you every week and this week's is how to climb like a pro. Uh, we've also got a competition for you, well two really. Uh, the first is to win a set of Continental Grand Prix Attack and Force Road Race set tyres worth around £60, plus a pair of Oakley 5 sunglasses worth around about £70. Okay, let's get on with the show. Okay, this is a quick roundup of what we've got coming up for you today in the UK and Northwest of England news section. First up is Plowman Craven's Tony Gibb taking win number four at the Edisones race in Aintree, Liverpool. Uh, we've got an interview with the winner himself as well as local lads Mark McNally of uh, the British Cycling Squad 100% Me as well as Rafa Condor's Tom Diggle. We've also got uh, news on Simon Gaywood helping the Plowman Craven's race to secure second winner's many days. Uh, when he won at the Dulwich Primavera Wally Gimba Road Race in Kent on Sunday. We've also got details on how campaigners are piling on the pressure to save the UK's old cycle path, and also an update on James Cracknell, twice Olympic gold winning rower for Great Britain, who has almost completed the, cy- completed the uh, cycling leg of his three-part challenge to travel from southern England to northern Africa under his own steam in less than a week. Then in international news, we've got... Um, Let's see, we've got about Cavendish and Kenner taking the Madison Championships. Uh, also, Bertie Boy, Ruben Plaza takes the win of the Valencia community. Um, right, let's get on with the UK and Northwest National News. Okay, at the Edisones race, um, with girls up to 29 miles an hour, the 47 Edisones Handicap Memorial Race at Ainter Racecourse proved to be a tough affair for the UK's top cyclist last Saturday. More than 150 riders lined up at the start line, but it was Tony Gibbon as Plowman Craven teammates that dominated the sprints for him to win the 50-mile race and equal Liverpool cycling legend Doug Daly's four impressive wins at entry. Former Liverpool Murphy rider Mark McNally from Crosby was presented with the Merseyside Golden Cycle Award before the start of the race. He finished 8th for Great Britain's trade team, 100% me, while Lydia's Tom Diggle finished 9th for Rafael Condor Recycling. Other Merseyside riders included Soundport-based Josh James, who finished 12th for Kinesis UK, Steve Clark, 42nd for Soundport CC, Kit Gillam, 44th for Kinesis UK, James Sanson, 45th for Kinesis UK, Mark Crenshaw, 52nd for Kinesis UK, while Ormskirk rider James Stewart of KFS Special Vehicles finished 64th. The Plowman Cravens and Rafa Condor Recycling Co.UK teams controlled the action during the windswept 30 laps of Aintree Motor Racing Course, with the finishing time of 1 hour 50 minutes being nearly 10 minutes slower than in 2007. Early handicap groups were quickly caught as the headwinds slowed the weaker riders on the back straight heading towards in the di- uh, in the direction of the Earl of Derby and Lord Sefton stands. 
Despite some strong attacks and dangerous moves that include Rafa Condor recycling Steen Down, Plowman Craven came on out on top by keeping the bunch under control as the laps counted down. Down and tried to go early in the sprint, but Gid had the inside line and opened up his powerful surge. Uh, coming out with the last corner to comfortably downing and pale Azumi's John Mosley. Gib cheekily hinted that he might never be back in Liverpool after equaling Daly's record, but admitted he probably would after picking up the £100 winner's cheque as well as the Scally Trophy. Uh, now we've got an interview with Gib, McNally, and Tom Diggle. Okay, first up is the interview with Tony Gibb. Uh, apologies for the sound quality, but it was really blowing a gala at uh, HRA's course last Saturday. Uh, basically, the race came down to the finish we wanted it to. Um, we nullified all the attacks that, uh, that were going off, and um, yeah, it came down to perfect sprint. Him and gave me a superb one-man lead-out, uh, sheltered me from the wind, and uh, as soon as I started sprinting properly, that was it, game over. Okay, now we have an interview with uh, Macy Cycle and Cycle winner and former Liverpool Mercury rider uh, Mark McNally from Crosby, who's now with Great Britain's 100% Me Cycling squad. Bit jumpy like the few like Palm and Craven and Rapper Cycling, they, they had power and numbers, like, so they controlled it really. And it was just come back together for the finish and every man for himself really, so got a little bit boxy in the finish, so a little bit disappointed like Buck was bike racing. So. There was also a chance to catch up with former Southport rider Tom Diggle uh, from Lydia, who's now with Rafa Condor Recycling and managed to finish in uh, ninth place. Yeah, well, the race was pretty steady until we caught up the rest of the field. And once we caught them up, it was pretty pretty rapid then. The brakes kept on going, farming, but kept on coming back. And in the end, it was a bunch sprint. So, and I think I got about ninth. 10th something like that so it was a good race in the end so happy uh. okay that's it with all the interviews uh, if you keep checking the website later on this week I'll be putting up a notice as to when uh, the footage from the race uh, we've got a, a fair decent bit of footage in the car following the race rounds and of the final sprint at the end uh, that we'll be sticking up a link on the website and putting it up on YouTube later on this week I've just going to have a chance to try and edit everything together and voice it over and the works and stuff like that okay now on with the rest of the news okay and now for the rest of the UK news right uh, Simon Gaywood helped Plam and Craven racing team secure a second win in as many days when he won the Dulwich Primavera Wally Gimber road race in Kent on Sunday teammate Tony Gibbs sprinted to victory at the anti Sones Memorial race in Aintree the previous day but Gaywood showed the team strength and depth when he crossed the line ahead of his six breakaway Rivals at the end of the 101km event. The early threat came from AW Cycles' Rob Enslin, but a chase group soon swallowed him up, including Gaywood's Richard Sykes Popham of KF Special Vehicles, Roy Chamberlain of Team Chorley Cycles, and Chris McMurano of Wildside RT. The five powered on and established a lead of more than a minute on the bunch, but not wanting to miss out on the limelight, another Plowman Craven rider, Simon Richardson, Soloed up to the leaders to help his teammate. In the sprint line, Gaywood won by inches from Sykes Popham, while Chamberlain held off Enslin for a third spot. Elsewhere, Dean Darlin of Raffle Condor Recycling made up for the disappointment of finishing second to Gibb in the Sones when he won the Chapters Handicap Row Race in Stokesley, North Yorkshire on Sunday. Darlin took a comfortable win by eight seconds from Kevin Byers, 
uh, of <laughs> excuse me if I get this wrong Fetson Tempo while Mark Wordsworth of Chorley Cycles was third another 13 seconds behind him ok next up uh, the campaign to save the UK's oldest cycle path has stepped up a gear the Bristol to Bath railway path was the first route on the country's national cycle cycle network and was built by cycling charity Sustrans in the early 1980s. Plans are now afoot to turn part of it into a bus route, a proposal which has outraged local cyclists. Now Sustrans has launched an online petition calling for the idea to be scrapped and a previous petition set up by the Bristol cycling campaign has already attracted some 8,000 signatures. Sustrans has met with Bristol City Council one of the four councils back on the bus route scheme to try and pile on the pressure. In a letter to the council after the meeting, uh, Chief Executive of Sustrans, John Grimshaw, said it's flying in the face of these facts to seek to implement a scheme that actually positions walking and cycling in competition with public transport. We need much more of both if we are to ever persuade people out of the cars, not one or the other. He also went on to say, We are also hearing from people all over the UK appalled at the principle that walking and cycling be sacrificed to improve public transport. Uh, Bristol's cycling campaign met with Bristol Transport Chief Councillor Mark Bradshaw last week to lobby, lobby against uh, the proposals. The council is consulting on the project this spring where people ask for the views on three options. Uh, the first is a bus route along a local motorway and main roads. Second, a bus route along the cycle path. And the third is a combination of the two. If the cycle path proposal got the go-ahead, it would see buses running uh, parallel, sorry, parallel to the current traffic-free path. Campaigners have said the only way to make the route wide enough for the buses and bike would be to rip out the hedgerows and trees along the route. There are so doubts about the viability of the plan due to a number of low bridges along the path. Uh, Bristol resident Murray Wilson said, I bought my house because it was beside the path and it's the only open green space left in one of the most deprived areas of Bristol. It's loss as a unique place to enjoy a traffic-free walk or cycle would have significant effect on the health of the people of East Bristol. A poll in the Bristol Evening Post local newspaper found 95% of respondents Residents, sorry, uh, were against the scheme. The Bristol to Bath railway path saw 2.4 million journeys made by walkers and cyclists last year and is the most popular route on the National Cycle Network. If the bus route went ahead, it would be operational by 2014 with buses running every two and a half minutes. Okay, next up, we've got news on how. <coughs> pardon me. James Crackle, the twice Olympic gold winning rower for Great Britain, has almost completed the cycling leg of his three-part challenge to travel from southern England to northern Africa under his own steam in less than a week. Cracknell began his challenge in aid of the BBC Sport Relief charity on the 27th of February by rowing 22 miles across the English Channel in six hours. He has now almost completed the humongous task of riding 14,000 miles through France to southern Spain, although he's a little way behind his target time of riding the Isila de Tarifa. Sorry if I'm pronouncing all these names wrong, but... Uh, get a bit tongue-tied pronouncing foreign names, uh, which is on the southern Spanish coast in under five days. Today is day six of the challenge. 
James is updating his online diary of the challenge and he recently commented on day 5 of the ride. The Pyrenees took a lot out of me and I'm getting progressively more tired. I'm starting to feel the pressure of staying on target with the time. Cracknell has opted for a mix of comfort and speed for his marathon cycle in the shape of a giant TCR composite. Comfort is what he'll be uh, needing spending nearly 20 hours a day on the bike. The last leg of the challenge will see him swim the 12 miles between Tarifa and Punta Curiosa in Northern Africa. Okay, nine teams. Uh, High Roads, SIS, Quamcom, Paragon, Dolan, 100% Me, Manx Road, Alaman, Corridori and Agus Go lined up for the 50km 200 lap National Madison Championships in Manchester on Sunday morning. With Bradley Wiggins still suffering from an illness, Kaida out from the Tour of California. Peter Kenner pulled on the high road colours for the day to partner Mark Cavendish. Main challenges on the day proved to be uh, Johnny Bellis and Andrew Fenn in Isle of Man colours and Alex Dowsett with Stephen Burke representing 100% me. Racing was steady for the opening laps with Cavendish and Kenner picking up the first sprint points. Their intentions were clear from that point on, seeing them put in some electrifying laps to gain two laps on fellow Manx men, Bellis and Fenn, and a full five laps on the sixth place team in the results. Cavendish now travels to France for the Paris-Nice in a week's time, which is running between March the 9th to the 16th. Okay. Uh, Ruben Plaza riding with the Benfica team won the Tour of Valencia community on Saturday to celebrate his Bertin star. Plaza returned 28 on Friday, triumphed on home ground after the fifth and final stage of 149km ride around Valencia which was won by Italian Alessandro Petticini. Okay and now for the features. Every cyclist whether road races, time trials, hill climb specialists, mountain bikers or recreation riders all want to be able to do one thing, climb easily. When you sit in front of a TV and watch the great climbs in action, it really is something. It's difficult to even comprehend just how these scrawny little guys can suddenly turn into superhuman beings and fly up the mountains if they were on a motorbike. Speed most of us struggle to manage on the flat. Each and every one of us knows what it's like to ride a bike uphill, and many of us will even know what it's like to ride up a seriously steep mountain pass. So it's easy to relate to the constant speed these guys ride out in the mountains, even if it remains a staggering thought. Sure enough, climbers are a breed apart in relation to most cyclists. A little insane, maybe, for starters to suffer like that day in, day out, and then go back for more. But it's not just tiny climbers who get to ride up mountains fast. Just look at the likes of uh, Lance Armstrong, who isn't exactly a small bloke himself. So there must be more to the art of climbing than natural insanity and talent must be things that any cyclist can do to climb mountains faster and easier. Climbing requires a great deal of fitness, composure, technique and a strong mental approach to conquer as opposed to the short, sharp lattice efforts. Races are often won in the hills, both on and off road. And there's ways that you can dramatically improve your climbing by doing the right specific training. There's several ways you can improve your speed on hills by using the following training exercises. The first of those is obviously hill repeats. Find a hill that isn't too steep and is split into three distinct phases. The ideal is one that starts reasonably steep, say 8 to 10%, and then the middle third it flattens slightly, and then the final third rears up to its steepest, say 10 to 12%. Length of the climb should be about 2 to 3 minutes. Start with a hill repeat and have a landmark at the bottom of the hill to start your computer, and another at the top to stop it. 
sprint at the start of the hill, sit down and change down to the flatter part and then have an all out sprint out of the saddle to the top. Recover from your effort until you can breathe normally again and repeat. Try to get all 8 repeats out at the same time. If you fail badly, stop the exercise, warm down and try again next week. Record the times of each climb and make a note of the weather and wind direction so you can pair sessions. And the second exercise is a change of pace. On longer hills that are reasonably steep, practice change of pace exercises. Start the hill at a moderate pace and then pick out a landmark about 250 metres ahead and sprint forward it out of the saddle as hard as you can. Go back to a moderate pace and repeat as many times on each hill as the distance will allow. If you can do this, it's a wonderful way to crack the opposition in a race as the stop garb of pace wrecks their rhythm and breaks the morale quicker than any other attack. Then the third exercise is of course brow sprints. How many times have people seen riders get to the top of the climb and then stop pedalling to freewheel before they change into the big ring to go down the descent? What a waste of time. To conquer the hills, any serious cyclist needs to practice brow sprints. This is where on reaching the summit of a hill, you immediately get into your big chain ring and sprint over the brow into full speed for the descent. This is a great place to attack in a race because you will notice that most riders will do this freewheeling glow after a tough climb and you can create a gap really quickly. You can also be sure that other riders will hesitate to take up the chase and you can be away in next to no time. Even in time trials some riders will freewheel over brows. That's valuable seconds lost. Don't hesitate, get into that big rink and sprint away. You will have time to recover on the descent and can still be moving away from others with the initial increase in momentum. Next up is one of the most important and that is positioning on a climb. Uh, if you're on a strong climber and that's before obviously you followed the steps I mentioned before, make sure you start every hill at the front of the group. You then have pl plenty of wheel to hold on to if you start to go backwards. Always stay close to the rear wheel of the rider in front but not directly on the wheel. This gives you a kind of escape route should he, she break or come back at you. Be aware of the wind direction and tuck into the lee side of the rider. Stay really close to the wheel and take as much shelter as possible if you can. If there's a lull on the climb, make an effort to move up again, preferably on the sheltered side of the bunch. Use your head and think about saving energy. If you're a strong climber, try to split the bunch by uh, using the change of pace or an attack on the brow when they inevitably sit up. Uh, next up is find your pace and rhythm. Practice and experience are important here. If you can learn to pour out a lot of power in the saddle at high cadence, which is basically how fast you spin the, uh, the pedals around, this will really help you and practice anchoring your upper body. Each time you push on the pedals, your arms pull on the bars. Core strength is key, so plenty of crunches are, and an exercise ball will also help. Finding the right pace and rhythm comes with experience, knowing your body and how it reacts, what you are capable of sustaining, but ultimately, the lactate in your legs will tell you. Then, we've got choosing the right gear. Seems pretty obvious, but it's an essential part of becoming a better climber. Enter the climb in a right gear and then shift down accordingly. Always underestimate slightly because on power climbs you often can't shift down easily, especially 
off the bigger chainlink. Never let the gear get on top of you. On shorter climbs, you will nearly always use larger gears to maintain speed before joining and after the climb. This may mean a faster approach, but be sure not to find yourself stuck in a huge gear that you cannot react to. And it seems obvious, and it's a bit of a controversial one, some people prefer not to, some people do, is staying seated as much as possible. And though you develop more power while standard, because you're essentially you're taking advantage of all your upper body weight pushing down on the pedals, you also use 10-12% to 12 more energy as your pelvis isn't in contact with the saddle, which means more work for your core and back muscles as you pull up on the unweighted pedal. The net effect is more energy used, which essentially means it's less efficient um, to climb standing versus to climb seated. On short climbs, the length of a football field or less, it makes little difference. But on longer climbs, stay in the saddle and spin at 80 to 85 RPM. This is particularly so if you are heavier as standing puts just that much more weight on your leg muscles while sitting uses the seat to help take the extra upper body weight off your legs. That having been said, on long fairly steep climbs it may provide a break to alternate seating with standing to employ different muscle groups. Just before you stand, shift to the next smaller cog then shift back when you sit. These gear changes will help you maintain a steady pace during cadence changes. And if you're going to stand, let the bike rock side to side under you an arc of maybe six inches side to side and don't lean too far forward stay back so that your weight is directly over the crank next up is body and hand position being bent over in the drops is the most efficient position on level ground but hills are different as there's much less aerodynamic resistance you can actually get the most power sitting up as high as you can hand position comfort overrides uh, these comments, but for seated climbing, most riders prefer to keep the hands on the top of the bars, perhaps two or three inches from the centre step. A wide grip on top of the handlebar reduces breathing restriction, and remember to drop your elbows and relax your upper body. Proud of saddle climbing or aggressive climbing, where you're accelerating or attacking on the saddle, uh, put your thumbs on the hoods and rest one or two fingers on the levers or wrapped around the underneath. And when you get to that descent, most riders will go to the drops, keeping your wrist straight for aerodynamic advantages, although others prefer the hoods for feeling control, but not the top of the bars as your hands will be too far from the brakes. Keep your upper body still and chest open. Keep your upper body quiet. The bike should rock under you. Try pulling up on the handlebar opposite of the leg on a downstroke, uh, but too much movement wastes energy and your shoulders should be back and open. If not, you're constricting the chest and you cannot breathe efficiently. When you slide back on your seat, you gain a leverage advantage on the pedals. The only time uh, you want to slide forwards is for a short sprint on a small rise. Then, pedaling while standing. If you must stand, remember it's hard to pull up because you aren't in contact with the saddle. There's nothing to brace your hips to pull against and you will power into both the up and down strokes 12 to 5 o'clock on the down strokes and 7 to 10 on the up strokes. You should use your body weight to help you push down. Let the bike move fluidly on you. Don't force it. The bike should rock rhythmically side to side in an arc 
about six inches judged by the movement of the handlebar stem. This gives each leg a direct push against its pedal and makes the best use of your weight. This will help to maintain a smooth stroke and your momentum. Don't lean too far forward. If the nose of your saddle is brushing against the back of your thighs, you're just about right. Any further forward and you will press the front tire into the pavement and lose power. Stay back a bit and find the front to back sweet spot. This helps centre your weight over the crank and drive the pedals as described. Um, and remember to shift up a gear or two just before you stand to take advantage of the extra power you gain from standing, but which you can't maintain for any length of time. Uh, remember that if you are in a group, you need to consciously protect those behind you when you stand to climb. How you stand on a hill is very important. Do it wrong and the guy behind you might suddenly be on the pavement. The issue is the brief deceleration that can occur as you change from sitting to standing incorrectly, which relative to other riders has the effect of sending your bike backwards and can cause the following rider's front wheel to hit your rear wheel. In basic terms, if you stand up, you're going to decrease in speed and possibly whack the fella behind you, so uh, try and avoid that. On short rolling hills, the trick is to pardon me, click into the next higher gear or smaller cog, then stand and pedal over the top with a slightly slower cadence. This keeps the quads from loading up with lactate because it will help helps you uh, pedal with body weight. In fact, it can actually feel like you're stretching and refreshing legs. An essential tip is off-season weight training. Cycling and specific weight exercises in the off-season are a great way to improve your climber power. Two or three sets of 15 to 25 reps uh, twice a week is a good general program. The emphasis should be on legs and back. Step up, lunges, squats or leg presses, likes of that. Focus on higher reps and medium weight to develop muscular endurance and minimise the risk of injury. And add in set, sets of standing jumps, which are essentially standing in a place and jumping as high as you can for 20 or more times. After your weight workout will give you the explosiveness to catch your body off guard in the spring. And don't forget to stretch to maintain flexibility. And it seems uh, pretty obvious, but not a lot of people think about it when they're uh, trying to become better riders, is watch your weight. We all know that lighter riders climb faster than the heavy ones, so remember to watch the weight both your own and the weight you are carrying on the bike. It costs a lot to reduce the weight of your bike by a pound, but that extra water bottle easily adds up to a pound and can really add up on a ride over hilly train. Also, why spend two, three, five, six, whatever amount of money on a, a brand new spanking bike which is, you know, lighter than anything when it's a lot easier and a hell of a lot cheaper to just lose one or two stone yourself. I'm not saying go under your uh, preferred weight, but before you try any dramatic weight loss, make sure you contact your doctor. And that's it on Becoming King of the Hill. Thanks for listening. Okay, now it's competition time. Uh, first off, we've got uh, a set of Continental Grand Prix Attack and Force Road Race set, uh, which is what the pros use and they're worth about £60. Okay, I'll just tell you a bit about them. The Continental's tyre positioning system is the systematic approach that puts race tyres on a new performance level. The specifically designed front and rear tyre team up perfectly. The lightweight 22mm front tyre, that's right, 22mm front tyre, attacks tight turns in dry and wet conditions aggressively thanks to its uh, sticky black chilli compound. Meanwhile, the 24mm 
that's right, 24mm rear tyres hard-working compound gives thousands of miles of service at competition level and puts your force into speed. The 22mm wider casing provides the suppleness to endure the stress of long hard racing. Okay, we've got a set of these tyres to win. Uh, how you can win them is by telling us which country is the main base of operations for Continental. I'll give you a clue, it's where the famous TV series I'll Be The Same Pet uh, was based. Right, and if you can't get that, you don't deserve winning. To enter the competition, either email your answers together with your name, daytime, telephone number and postal address with the word Continental Tyres in the subject line to Biking Up Podcast, all one word, at googlemail.com or enter via the comments section underneath the competition that will appear on our website www.bikenut.merseyblogs.co.uk later this week. All entries will be drawn at random and the closing date will be March the 31st, just to give everyone enough time to enter. Plus it would be nice to have uh, a little treat of a new set of tyres for uh, when the lights, uh, the nights start getting lighter. Okay, the other competition we've got for you is for a pair of Oakley Fire sunglasses. We've teamed up with Oakley to offer one lucky listener the chance to win a pair cooler of Oakley Fire sunglasses. Now these aren't the ones that you wear while you're riding a bike, well unless you really want it. Uh, these are more designed for wearing off the bike and let me tell you they're very very cool and they're worth around about £70. Okay, for the chance to win these cool shades, tell us what colour were last year's winner of the Tour de France Alberto Contador's much sought after pair of Oakleys. I'll give you a clue, it was the same colour as his top that he got in the end. Once again, to enter the competition, either email your name, sorry, email your answers together with your name, daytime telephone number and postal address with the words Oakley5 in the subject line, or enter via the comment section on the website where it will be appearing later this week. Okay, that's it. Thanks very much for listening to the first ever Biking Up podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Obviously, uh, I've slipped up a few times with a, a couple of names and stuff like that, but I will promise you I'll get better. If you've got any club or team news that you'd like to featured on Biking Up Podcast, email me on the email address, which, if you haven't got it already, is Podcast or one word, at googlemail.com. Okay, uh, thanks for listening, and the next edition of Biking Up Podcast should be up next Monday or Tuesday on iTunes or via the website. Thanks for listening and happy cycling.